Welcome back, sex explorers, to another episode of Sexplorations with me, your host, Adelina Adler. It's been a while, guys. Glad to be with you again. Last time, we heard from a listener, a fellow sex worker, who, along with another friend in the industry, were finding difficulty in mustering up the motivation to enjoy sex in their relationships. Still, to keep their partners happy, they'd engage in what we call obligatory sex without finding real fulfillment in the act. That's really unfortunate. We discussed some reasons why this desired discrepancy can happen for many sex workers in particular and touched on the related concern of mismatched libidos in general. So for today, we'll be exploring some strategies that can maybe help bring some of that fulfillment back to our sex worker friends and anyone else out there who may have lost the taste for sex. But before we get into that, I do want to take a moment and thank everybody who has reached out to me looking for help and advice of the sexual variety. It does mean a lot to me that you've opened up and shared these vulnerable and very sensitive stories with me. That being said, some of you have shared really deep concerns that I'm not quite equipped to help with yet. Yet. I don't ever want to give you half-assed half-assessed answers if I can help it, guys. So, I mean, I'll help as best as I can if I can, but remember, I'm not a certified sex coach yet. (laughs) This project is meant to try to earn money and help motivate me to review the materials um, so I can take those classes and I can be ready with the knowledge and practices and exercises needed to assist some of your heavier concerns. For now, this podcast and uh, some of the talks I can have with you one-on-one is meant to be a shared exploration and is not necessarily based on professional opinion, just the research I'm able to do from those professionals as well as my personal experience. I'm just a thousand dollars shy of my goal, speaking of which, and once I reach that, I'll be able to enroll in the Somatic Institute's online courses and get the rest of that education I'll need to help you out. If you'd like to help donate to that cause, you can become a patron of mine for pledges of five, ten, or twenty-five dollars a month, or you can send me one-off donations via my Cash App or PayPal or a few links I've set up. You can see those on the site. Um, if not, always email me ask addyadler at gmail.com that's also one of my paypals that you can reach me at and i'll be able to send you information on that i also want to let you guys know i did put up the link tree uh in the facebook page so if you guys are looking for some really good sources or want to see some of the things where i'm getting my information from or want to submit something to me uh go check that out and uh See if you can learn and find some cool things. A lot of them are databases and from the Kinsey Institute and so forth. So it's really fun stuff to look at. Well, getting back to it. When we last left off, we were on this proverbial discrepancy island. Sex is simply not enjoyable anymore to the sex worker who sees it as well. Work. Meanwhile, their partners still seek sexual attention. So what can we do here? First, we're going to enter into acceptance mode or cooperation mode. This is a puzzle we're going to be solving together. Not just you as listeners and me, but the couple itself or the 
the, all the people involved have to take on this attitude of, again, cooperation versus compromise. All of us can be winners. And again, we're going to follow the model from our relationships episode and evaluate our needs, our boundaries, and our comfort zones well ahead of time. We're going to talk openly and honestly about these things with each other, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, with all those things established, let's consider some different routes to take here. So one of the first suggestions that Celeste and Danielle from the Somatica Institute give is... um, Opening up the relationship, is that something that's on the table? Is there a form of, again, ethical non-monogamy or consensual non-monogamy that you guys can explore? Can you be monogamish or consider going poly? Of course, these are based on the principle of trust and communication and uh, complete transparency and work for people who understand and are comfortable with the idea that sex serves many different needs in our lives. And sometimes those needs cannot be met by one person alone and no hard feelings about that. A really good book uh, to read on that matter actually is Polysecure. I just finished it. It is phenomenal and not just for people who are looking to get into the cnm lifestyle or anything like that it's just really good for anyone who's trying to have a relationship with anyone else in general uh she takes a look at how we approach our relationships and what we need out of it from the attachment theory perspective so it's it's remarkable work i highly recommend it to everyone so this approach isn't for everyone, I understand that. So some people may feel a little, mm, that's not what I really wanna do. If that doesn't work for you, another solution suggested by Celeste and Danielle is uh, upping masturbation. So they do emphasize that it's important that the lower libido partner here supports this and refrains from reacting negatively towards it or feeling like it's a challenge or a slate towards them. I know there can be feelings of jealousy or feeling left out or not enough, but These are things that can be worked through. Remember, masturbation is here to help. I know a lot of the discomfort can come from the frustration felt that you're not the one able to fulfill your partner's needs. There might be insecurity that because you aren't able to, they'll leave you to go elsewhere. If that's the case, then let them go. If they did it without your consent and without talking to you, hasta la vista. If that single dimension of your relationship was enough to drive them away, then that relationship was probably not worth keeping. But more likely than not, this isn't the critical factor that will doom your relationship. Maybe you're upset that they're masturbating to pornography instead of you. Try to remember that this isn't a challenge to your value and isn't reflective of their desire for you at all. This is merely a tool. These are aids. On the other hand, masturbation doesn't always fulfill the same needs, emotional or otherwise, that your partner may have. So say you've opted out of opening the relationship up and after a while of upping their masturbation game, your partner still expresses desire to have sex with you and meanwhile your desire is still barely a blip on the radar. Remember, we're trying to avoid obligatory sex, which can be very detrimental in the long term. Let's take a look then at the solution I present, which has to do with becoming reacquainted with your arousal. But first, 
let's consider two possibilities for our sex worker's current position or our low libido partner's current position because I'm not one to ever impose that sex is absolutely necessary in a functioning relationship. So I want to provide for the possibility that the sex worker in this scenario may have become asexual, which apparently is a possibility. So for the two next branches here, I'm going to assume either that one, either the sex worker has become asexual or has fallen somewhere along the asexual spectrum, or two, this sex worker is still sexual, but has lost touch with their arousal. So let's begin with our first option here and discuss asexuality a, a little bit. Now, as any asexual can tell you, you don't need sex to have a fulfilling, intimate relationship with somebody. I plan to have a whole segment devoted to exploring asexuality in depth at a later time, but for now, let's touch upon a few basics here I was able to pick up uh, from looking around. My sources are an excerpt from The Invisible Orientation, an introduction to asexuality by Julie Sandra Decker, as well as some browsing along asexuality.org's forums, and a little bit of Reddit. <laughs> if you'd like more information on asexuality, feel free to start uh, checking out these sources as well. I did put them up in that link tree, so uh, yeah, check them out there. Now, as you can imagine, asexuality is a huge topic all its own. Like anything involving sexuality and identity, it's still being explored and expanded upon as we speak. So this limited look we're going to have here today is it's just the tip of the iceberg. It's not meant to encompass the whole of the community. And you know what? I, I'm still learning about it too, loves. So if you have any insight, if you are asexual specifically, um, feel free to contact me, chime in, let me know a little bit about you. And you know what? I, I do want to talk to you in general too in preparation for that, that episode. Uh, so again, askaddyadler at gmail.com. A-S-K-A-D-D-Y-A-D-L-E-R at gmail. So from what I've gathered, there is a general consensus uh, who agree that it is entirely possible for a previously sexual person to become asexual. I'm inclined to agree with this given points from the last episode. Sex is largely a mentally fueled activity. It makes sense then that uh, sex long removed from the connotation of fulfillment becomes mundane and undesirable or unfulfilling, especially when those needs are being met outside of the sexual spectrum. So the drive for it can eventually dwindle. When we take a look at uh, that excerpt from The Invisible Orientation under the segment titled Am I asexual? Decker writes, Are you sexually attracted to other people? Do you feel the need to make sex a part of your life? Do you have a desire to introduce sexual activities into your relationships? If you answered no to one or more of these questions, you may very well be asexual. No expert can diagnose you. Only you can answer this for yourself. How do I tell? Do you find other people sexy in a way that makes you feel sexual desire or arousal or a way that makes you think sex or sexual touching with that person would be satisfying, regardless of whether you'd actually do it? If you don't feel this with anyone, you may be asexual. I feel like I'm, I'm about to go in it. You may be asexual. Let's <laughs> see that guy. Cable guy. Yeah, Larry. I was about to go into Larry territory here. Do you develop sexual attraction every once in a while, but 
don't find its pursuit or satisfaction intrinsically rewarding? Some people would call that asexual. Do you think that having sex or the idea of having sex is, is okay, but not very interesting or important? Could you take it or leave it and find leaving it more convenient or preferable? Some people would call that asexual. Do you feel sexual attraction sometimes, but only rarely? You may be gray sexual, and you'll have a lot in common with asexual people if you are. Do you sometimes develop sexual attraction when you're, you've already developed other important connections with somebody, but never feel sexually attracted to strangers, celebrities, or mere acquaintances? You may be demisexual, and you'll also have a lot in common with asexual people if you are. Now, certainly some of that does seem to resonate at first glance with the experience of the listener, but again, as noted even here, the only person who can ultimately decide if it's the right fit is the listener themselves. Also take the note of the wording, you may be asexual, and some people would call that asexual. Again, these definitions are still being explored. I would suggest our listener and anyone else struggling with this to take a look at asexuality and see if what's going on there resonates with their personal experiences. I will note that mismatched libidos, especially situations where women in particular are the ones experiencing the decline, especially when they're sex workers, is a common enough occurrence that I personally don't necessarily think ascribing asexuality as its cause is what we should jump to first. Um, I do believe, however, that asexuality can possibly come as a result of seeing sex as a chore versus a source of pleasure for extended periods of time. Again, working thesis, this could always change. In the spirit of science, we might always be wrong. But in my experience, um, as well as the reported experiences of others in the sex work community, sexual desire and the relationship connecting it to fulfillment can return after one leaves the industry. So that's kind of my first hint that there might be something else going on there. Moreover, it's possible to reconnect sex and fulfillment while you're still in it. Mm -hmm. In fact, reintroducing sex and fulfillment as parts of one another is the key method in tackling desire discrepancy. So now we're moving on to option two, where the sex worker is still sexual, even if they don't feel very sexual, but has lost touch with their arousal. Last episode, I mentioned that I had also experienced what our listener was talking about. I had a long-term relationship with a, a gentleman who was also involved in the industry as a bouncer. As time passed, I started to desire sex less frequently, if at all. And when we we did have it, I it didn't hold the same vim and vigor it had in the beginning. It, it did feel like a chore. I was having obligatory sex. So what was going on in here? Coaches Celeste and Danielle talk about different kinds of sex which touch on your needs. Sometimes what's happening to cause this discrepancy in desire is that what you're getting out of sex isn't exactly what you want. In order to fix that, we need to tune in to our desires. We need to identify those emotional erotic needs and figure out how to get them satisfied physically. Now, when it comes to sex in America, 
women's sexuality, in particular, has been largely regulated and steered along according to its functionality within heteronormative relationships. In her book, The Pleasure Gap, American Women and Unfinished Sexual Revolution, Catherine Rowland explains that while initially women were encouraged to be sexually modest, the newer wave of sexual revolution placed a pressure on women to almost be overtly sexual in their performances. In the age of shows like Sex in the City, we found a myriad of magazine articles detailing creative wild ways to excite male partners. Does uh, anybody remember the grapefruit lady? <laughs> Still, little regard was had for the pleasure of the female. The encouraged sexuality of women came with the purpose of exciting and impressing men. In one of the Somatica session videos I watched, when asked why she hadn't shared her sexual needs or wants with her partner, the woman being interviewed sheepishly replied that she didn't want to be a bad host. I heard from one young lady this last week that she didn't want to hurt her partner's feelings by telling him that he wasn't using his mouth quite the way she enjoyed. Rowland's book also refers to a scene in Seinfeld where Elaine reveals that she faked all her orgasms with Jerry. In the show, this is pitched as a high failure to Jerry's ego, and Elaine's lack of sexual fulfillment is cast as like a weaponized strike to his reputation. And this is really interesting too, because it also reveals that a lot of times men's sexual performance is hitched on their ego too. It's it's tied to their ego, their performance. It's it's a chore. It, it, it's sex is something we do to another person or for another person in a weird way. Um, women's orgasms aren't even their own, but a measure of a man or a partner's prowess. So basically, the experience of women has largely been defaulted as catering to the sexual needs of whomever they're engaging with. Even now, with the current surge of sexual empowerment spilling forth, even women who are choosing to consciously tend to their needs still occasionally find themselves subconsciously trapped by this modality. Now let's add the added layer of a sex worker's point of view where their business is literally serving out sexuality, literally performing it. The needs of their authentic sexual self may get lost in the translation even more than their non-sex worker sisters. Sex workers may have that work connotation blocking sex from being fun and pleasurable. Remember why. It's not because sex itself isn't necessarily appealing, but the connotations behind sex have been tarnished. The story of sex has been altered. What it does no longer fulfills, if it ever even did. You start thinking, it's a responsibility I have to perform to make my partner happy. And this one, this one applies to the guys out there too. It's something I have to perform to make my partner happy. I'm so tired of having to perform my sexuality as a job and now it's also a duty at home. Sex is not fulfilling any needs in my life right now besides maybe perhaps financial. <laughs> this kind of reminds me um, of art. Uh, of doing any kind of art for money and kind of how it tends to lose some of its uh, its favor when it becomes monetized or over monetized especially uh, some artists have expressed that change and that discomfort we forget what inspired us in the first place what parts of it did we enjoy and going back to that idea of sex as something we perform for our partners 
while that on the surface seems really great, like, yeah, we want to be altruistic. We want to give to our partner. We want to make sure they have a good time. What we're doing there is making sex something that we do for someone instead of with someone. So how can we see sex as a shared experience where both partners are reveling in their individual pleasure together? Versus something one person does for the other. So you, you see the idea there, there. There is a difference. When you find the things that turn you on. When you find your pleasure. And you share that with your partner. Or your partner and you. Partners and you find and engage in, in discovering and strengthening the knowledge of your pleasures. Everybody wins. Because... You're going to know how to communicate, this is what I like. And then your your partners are going to be super thrilled that they're, they're going to be pleasing you. So everybody wins. If, if, if that's what the goal was, you got it. And, and you got it in a great way. There, you eliminate the guesswork. You eliminate more than anything the, the obligatoriness, the, the, the one-sidedness that can sometimes happen. We tend to self-sacrifice when you don't necessarily need to. And so many times when we feel the passion dwindling in our relationships, I find that many people, their first, their first impulse is to attempt to ritualize the sex versus ritualizing the arousal. Now, what am I mean by that? Um, for example, uh, maybe they'll get some ropes and blindfolds and try to explore a bit of like shibari bondage play. But... If they're not tuning in first to the why of that kind of sex, of what makes that sort of thing appealing, they're missing the intrinsic part of what makes shibari or the sex itself sexy. So using this example, let's explore some of the possible whys for this. And this is going to tie into the exercise later on how we're going to find and tune in to our arousal because I'm going to attempt to teach you a little exercise that I do and that helped me a lot and hopefully it'll help you too. So for this example, while there may be some physical discomfort, it's always well in control of the rigor, the, the person tying the knots, the bunny, the one getting tied and the rigor work together to create a work of art. Wherein the rope and the bunny are the rigor's canvas. The rigor in turn highlights and appreciates the beauty of their canvas and practice and study dutifully to make sure they perform all their work safely and securely. Everything from the method of tying, the brushing of rope and hands along the body to the final suspension or bind is a conversation between rigor, bunny, and who, whatever art viewer they may, they may have if they take photographs or something like that, or if it's on stage. It is an act built on mutual trust and respect. And bound bunnies can usually find a safe place to explore and reframe the ideas of vulnerability and a certain helplessness while being in trustworthy hands. That kind of close bond and intimacy can be very sexy. Being in the heights of, you know, at the mercy of someone else, being in absolute complete trust, that fulfills a need. And if done really right, that can fulfill a nice sexual need too. There is a sexual language that conveys that needs fulfillment. 
So, but if you're trying to just tie each other up uh, without any of that background or meaning, you might just find yourself frustratedly fumbling around with some knots and trying to explain what a cinch is. Like, <laughs> that's why sometimes that fails. They'll go through the motions of the ritual without any of the substance. All this to say that sex without the proper why isn't going to get you anywhere. If we want to have great, fulfilling sex, we have to find the whys that stimulate us most. So, why not find the stories that do stimulate our desire, our arousal? I have an exercise for you to try that's going to hopefully get you in touch with your sexual stories, your personal fantasies. I recommend you keep note of this exercise in a journal or some other place that's safe that you can write things down and really delve into them. You can revisit them, explore them, look back at them. We're going to first identify what has turned us on in the past or presently. These are called our arousal triggers. Examine why each of these have this effect on us. And then we're going to further dissect those to see what core needs they're fulfilling for us. So first, try to see if you can identify times when you've had sex with your current partner or partners that have hit that spot. Can you zero in on a particular moment or particular movement or action or feeling that made the current of excitement run through your body? What were you thinking of at that time? Write that down. What was the story of that moment in your mind? It's okay if it didn't have to do with your partner. I mean, that's between us. If you recall, we had a listener who wrote in for our episode on shame who shared that they sometimes would be fantasizing about other things while having sex. This isn't uncommon, and it doesn't mean that you love them any less. But uh, take a look at what you were thinking about. What made that sexy for you? What about it aroused you? Let's isolate those ideas and add it to our sexy story bank. What about other sexual experiences you've had? Do the same for those. Write the best of anything that ever stood out, anything, every little thing, big and small, as when you've watched a movie or a porn or a performance, if you found yourself aroused, write that down, examine that. What did it for you? You can start as broad as you need to. We can always refine the why later as we go. And uh, a lot of things can arouse us. Some aren't even inherently sexual in nature. Some of them might feel really silly, or maybe some things might make you feel ashamed or uncomfortable. It doesn't matter, hun. For now, this is just for you. Write, write it down. If it makes you feel better, you can make it a hidden file on your computer or you can burn it once you're done. Make sure not to judge yourself and be honest with yourself. There can be a lot of suppression when it comes to having our needs fulfilled, especially sexually. If you can't find any moments from your personal experience, again, are there performances, movie scenes, book scenes, or homebrewed fantasies in your own brain noggin that, you, that you've had that you revisit often, write them down. And once you've identified some of these things that arouse you, uh, let's try to figure out the why. And I want you to really meditate on these, by the way. Take your time with this. Spend a whole week doing it. Hell, a whole month, as long as it takes. 
Now that you've got a nice list of all the things that get your gears going, we're going to look through them individually and see if we can notice any common themes emerging. Answer, why does this turn me on? What about this exactly? Sometimes it helps to take note of any inner dialogue we might have when we think about those things. If nothing pops up right away, try going through individually and meditating upon each one of these arousal triggers and free riding whatever comes to mind. What's associated? Finally, is there something that connects these scenarios together? There could be more than one common theme between them. Eventually, uh, you may come to find that a few of these triggers actually relate to one another. Maybe all of them have some common thread. Now, is there a why behind the whys here? Is there anything you can think of that these ideas and spicy triggers are fulfilling in your life overall? So now what's happening here is that you're trying to figure out, you're figuring out what you're getting out of these moments. Literally, what is doing it for you? What it's doing for you? What it's doing for you? That one. <laughs> so yeah, like uh, again, going back in case that one was confusing is you're going to look at why, well, all your answers to the why and be like, huh, okay, like w what's going on here? Why do I like that? Why is, why is that my why? Does it have something to do with a desire, a need that I have an attachment? Again, telling you guys, read Polysecure. I'm going to and hop on over here and find that author's name for you real quick because I have a dumb brain sometimes and, <laughs> and I don't remember things as easily as I as I can. Jessica Fern it was published in 2020 and it's available on audiobook as well if you want to go examine that but that's fantastic and I think her work especially will give you like invaluable insight in when you're looking at your whys okay so I call these the base needs because they form the foundation upon which our desire blossoms identifying them can help us find ways to have sex that's more fulfilling for us allow me to use myself as an example if you will like I mentioned earlier, when I danced, I experienced some lack of libido with my partner at the time. There were moments, however, that I'd get incredibly turned on, seemingly at, at random. And it wasn't because my partner was looking sexy, though he was a hottie, or because I was watching porn or anything even remotely sexual. I got turned on once because we were at a bar and he was talking to some friends, and I overheard him quoting me from a conversation we'd had earlier in the week. I was suddenly overcome with the idea that, oh wow, he genuinely likes my ideas. Look at him spouting off my rhetoric to his chums. He is so proud of my big old sexy brain. Something about this scenario aroused me so much that I wanted to take him then and there. I was like, mm, yeah, that's right. You appreciate me. I am a gem. So why did that do it for me? I'm going to take you step by step into the process here because it can get pretty involved. Now, I like doing periodic introspection, uh, diving deep and analyzing why I think the way I do. I mean, I, I loved metaphysics in philosophy and it shows. Um, and of course, part of that was me reflecting on all the things that turned me on. I made my own list of arousal triggers, some of which I'm about to share with you. I'm gonna let you in on some intimate parts of myself here. And that's completely okay, because again, this is a safe space and we are normalizing sexual conversations. Um, but just so you know, things are about to get a little spicy, so 
here we go. I am the most fond of daddy dom or service doms and baby girl sessions. Not necessarily the age play aspects that can be present in some of those, um, but that kind of relationship of uh, someone who is super serving, a, a dominant figure who is super serviceable and like really complimentary and like really takes care of uh of praise i have a, I have a praise kink <laughs> not because of the freudian aspect there but uh in my experience i found that rather than deriving pleasure from pain like i used to once upon a time i tend to prefer nurturing doting doms that shower me with praise and adoration for being a sweet little slut <laughs> and as a result i'm encouraged to please and appease and show off all of my fun sexy little skills much to their amusement not to say that i don't enjoy a bit of pain here and there but uh that's not the focus of why i like this um, in threesomes, I don't like being the focus of attention from both parties. Rather, I like teaming up with them to fawn and fondle the other. I take extra pleasure in, in being a generous host and have appreciated it when my partner speaks fondly of me in that respect. I love it when, in the heat of ecstasy, my lover moans my name or mentions how good I feel, taste, smell, etc. The reason I like multiple penetration gangbang porn uh, <laughs> is the thought that, yo, this babe feels so damn good that everybody wants to come in her because it's a pleasure too. It is an honor too. So much so that they can't even wait to take their turn. And yes, sometimes in my fantasy's mind, I am that lady. Even though in all reality, I probably uh, would find that much stuffing quite uncomfortable. Again, it's the thought behind the thing. <laughs> I love it when, um, if I purposely do something voyeuristically enticing, you know, my partner is visibly affected. Of course, anyone for that matter really is visibly affected. I enjoy that because that's what made dancing hot for me too. I, I liked turning people on. The fact that I was enticing was good. And that one's common too. Um, and these are just a few of them. <laughs> so, but these are, well, I picked these because they're related. Um, so what do those sexual scenarios have in common with the story uh, about the bar I mentioned earlier? What is the common theme or the base need being fulfilled in all these scenarios? Do you see it yet? Don't feel bad if you don't. Addie, it's that you're fully yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh well all right uh, i'm gonna give you some non-sexual examples of the same base need being fulfilled i've always been a teacher's pet having my name on the dean's list or on a roll was always a particular point of pride at work i have been known to quickly climb ranks and encompass various positions and responsibilities as an example of this uh i was the only dancer at my previous club who was ever allowed to come back as anything but and i ended up becoming their first female dj in years despite the fact that i was told that the chances were slim to none actually i was told that the current owner would never let a woman dj and i was like <laughs> bet in fact i thrive on being the exception to rules and gaining access um one of the strongest love languages i enjoy receiving are acts of service and words of affirmation so if you haven't pinned it down yet don't worry because this took me a long time to piece together um and oh that's another thing please be patient with yourself and your partners and this process because it can take time be kind the answer here is that my base need is to be given roles and tasks that I in turn not only perform well in but excel in and to be praised or acknowledged for it. Ultimately, it's that praise and acknowledgement to be appreciated for what I offer and prized for it. And uh, 
that comes from uh, a kind of detached attachment style that I had. I, I did come from a place of neglect at some points in time. I didn't feel like I was heard uh, and stuff like that. But, you know, we you delve into it. See, this is what you do. You kind of look back at it and you're like, oh, maybe this is why. <laughs> but that's what you're meant to do. Again, that, that freaking book, Polysecure. Can't plug it enough. But that's why. That's why it feels wonderful to me when the things that I do are highlighted. Um, when things about me are appreciated, highlighted, and cherished, like put on a little pedestal. I really like that. <laughs> so as you can see, that base need has ways of being fulfilled in various areas of our lives, at work, at school, family, in our friendships, other social relationships, and yeah, sexually too. This doesn't mean that arousal happens where, whenever or wherever that need is fulfilled. Like, I'm not getting turned on when people are, I want to get like a raise or something. <laughs> Rather, in sexual contexts, I can point to that need in order to understand why I've become aroused by certain things. So, in the context of sexuality, I was the most turned on when that need was being addressed by my sexual partners at the time. And what's good about this is that once you know that need, even if you've never experienced it firsthand, you can start imagining experiences or building experiences or working on uh, potential sexual experiences that couldn't get you there. And uh, while at first I may not have realized that this was the case from just examining my arousal triggers, when the lens brought in to include other aspects from other life spaces that, that we mentioned, the trend suddenly became really clear to me. So... Once you've identified some of your arousal triggers and core needs, and you know, there can be a few of them, try thinking or making a list of the ways your core needs currently get fulfilled in your life under these different areas, work, school, friendships, family. Now, try thinking of what kinds of touch fulfill that need or would fulfill that need. What words, what behaviors? Give as many examples if you can. Again, they don't have to be sexual, but if they are, bravo, this is good. This is, this is closer. This is what we want. It's good to become acquainted with our desires and our needs. Exercises like this uh, help us really tune in to those parts of ourselves that we may have neglected, especially in favor of serving the needs of others. When we're more comfortable and acquainted with these parts of ourselves, it becomes easier to talk about them with other people, including our partners. And uh, this is where we return to the sexual intimate sphere. Now, if you're able to identify anything your partner already does that's an arousal trigger for you, try letting them know you want more of that. Tell them why it's sexy and uh, maybe they can figure out other, other things uh, along that vein to try. If you can't think of any arousal triggers from your experiences with your current partner, don't worry. This is an opportunity to explore together. There are various ways to have or approach sex that will fulfill these emotional erotic needs or that could fulfill these emotional erotic needs. Not all sex is created equal. We know that. We've definitely experienced very unfulfilling sex. <laughs> and also, you know, great times. There are some sexual sessions that are like, you know, fiery, passion-fueled, where the hunger of your partner makes you feel desired and they can't wait to have you and maybe their moans or even their words let you know that they're enjoying you. Maybe that was your emotional need to feel desired. Some sessions, there's a lot of deep kisses and foreheads touching, fingers linking together, eye contact, embraces. 
things that might make you feel emotionally close, intimate, and safe. Maybe that's your need to feel safe. Have fun exploring some different approaches to sex together and see if there's anything that sticks. But what about ego? Now, there are a lot of us out there who have trouble communicating what we want to our partners, especially when it comes to the bedroom. What if we hurt their feelings? I mean, there is a chance that your partner's gut reaction might be to feel like they failed at pleasing or performing. Maybe it feels embarrassing. Uh, after all, a lot of these topics may have been taboo f- you know, to you for a while. So on our next episode, we're going to go into discussing some strategies to communicate our sexual needs to our partners, whether they're long-term relationships or casual romps. <laughs> In the meantime, guys, start by finding those needs, finding those desires, your arousal triggers, so you can be authentically your sexual self. I hope this has helped some of you guys out there. I know it took a while to get this one finished, but uh, this medium was, after all, a way to get me motivated to read the material, and sometimes that study takes a bit longer than expected. If you need advice or want me to start looking something up for my research, feel free to reach out with your questions or comments at askaddyadler at gmail.com. Again, I'm not a professional yet by any means, but hopefully soon, someday I will be. And to be honest, a lot of the things I say pretty from so far getting a lot of affirmations (laughs) as i read (laughs) but there's always room for improvement so if you try um if you do try out the exercises from this episode let me know how it works for you Uh, again shoot me an email askaddyadler at gmail.com thank you guys for joining me tonight for this episode hope you guys will look back at some of the other ones the ones before this kind of set the stage uh, for what's going on here Thank you to my patrons uh, for putting up with me. I love you guys. I know I've been a little... You don't get to see a lot of my work behind the scenes, but I guarantee you I am reading and listening to audiobooks like crazy. (laughs) Thanks, Devin Tyler, Chris Elliott, R.D. Hannah, Emily Sievert. Thank you, Natty Sunshine and Papa Bruce and Natty's friend over in Germany as well. Um, so yep, in the next episode, stick around. We're going to learn how to communicate our sexual needs. And until next time, my loves, stay sexy. <laughs>